Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to two passages, Revelation chapter 12 and Acts chapter 10. Revelation chapter 12 and Acts chapter 10. We're continuing in this series called The Power of Testimony. And uh, anyone here love a great story? I love a great story. You know, there, there's all kinds of storytellers. You know, uh, my, my, my family's just a, just a bunch of uh, farmers, and so they love to tell stories, you know, and all that. And, and I, here's what I, I, I want all of us at Calvary to become great storytellers. But not just for the sake of, of telling stories but with a greater purpose. You see, I believe that God wants us telling our story and his story, and when we do, his power is released. Now, if you weren't here last week, please go to InvernessCalvary.com. Go there. You can subscribe to our podcast and listen to last week's message. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to back up just a little bit, so if you weren't here last week, you can really understand why we're talking about this word, testimony. You see, it's our vision here at Calvary to see people saved and healed and empowered and launched into their calling. That is our vision for every single person. So if you, if you feel like you haven't experienced any one of those four yet, well, stay in the process, stay engaged. Uh, but the, it's kind of good news and bad news for us as leaders. The good news is if, we, if all of this happens, the kingdom will be exploding, okay? That God's kingdom will be, will be rapidly growing. The bad news for us as leaders is that we can't do any of this. That this vision requires God. We can't save anybody and it's God who saves. We can't heal anyone. It's really God who heals. And it's God who empowers by his spirit. And it's God who sends people into their calling. We can position people. We can pray. We can ask for the Lord to come and to do those things. But we need God. And by the way, that, that, that is, that's really the declaration that should be on all of our lips all of the time. We need God. We need a move of God in our churches. We need a move of God in our schools. We need a move of God in this nation. We need God. We need God. A lot of, a lot of ideas about what this nation needs. There is no greater need than a move of God from sea to shining sea. That's what we need. A move of God. But I begin to think about how storytelling and a move of God go hand in hand. Have you ever been around someone who just begins to tell their God stories? Their interactions with the Lord, they just begin to tell their, their own history with God, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you are aware that God's presence is there. Maybe you've, you've even started to tell your own story, and it could have been a, a 10 years, 15, 20 years ago that this story actually happened, but when you're telling it again, that same power that was evident 15, 20 years ago shows up in that moment right then. And we're, we're all aware that that happens, but I, I didn't know why. I wanted to know why, why 
God is there so much power in testimony. Now there's a verse in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And, and this, is, this is the moment in Revelation where, where Satan is, is cast down. And his authority is, is taken away. And, and there's this, this verse that, that, that kind of just kind of launched me into this search for discovery of the power of testimony. And it says this in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus. And by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Now you have to understand that the way that believers were overcoming were, were found in these three ideas. Okay. But here they seem to equate with one another, to work seamlessly with one another. First, we understand and have been talking about for a long time in the church the power of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And if you've ever experienced the power of the blood, you just say amen. Amen? Amen. So you've experienced the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's so much power, and we're like, amen. Then we get to this next part of the verse, and, and they overcame it by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And many today are, are missing out on a power that is available in God that is connected to testimony. I gave you one point last week at the very, very end, and it was simply this. Believers must testify. We need to testify. Um, uh, I was reading a book by Dutch Sheets, and, and uh, I have a little bit of a history with him. as a, He's an intercessor and a, a great author and a pastor and a, a really a leader uh, in the body of Christ. And wrote a book called An Appeal, An Appeal to Heaven. Incredible book. I'd really encourage you to read it. Um, but in this book, it describes a dream that this woman had. Uh, about how the prayer movement was dying. Like, like there is this prayer movement that's going on in America. Maybe you don't know this. But it's been going on 365 days a year, 24 hours a day in Kansas City for 20 years. Night and day, nonstop. A, un, the, a, a prayer meeting that has never ended. Do you hear me? That's going on in the very heart of our nation. But she had this dream, and she, she began to see that many of the intercessors had lost their heartbeat, and there were these ambulances, and these angels came, and all of the, all these angels said, these intercessors, we cannot find a heartbeat. And they were all dying, and nothing was happening. And then suddenly, one angel shouted out, I have a heartbeat. It's faint, but I found a heartbeat. The other angels yelled back in the stream and said, Hey, uh, how, how did you find a heartbeat? How did you get a heartbeat? They said, I just begin to tell the old stories. I begin to tell the stories of revival of Azusa Street and the healing revival of the 50s and the, the Jesus movement that swept over this nation, the great awakenings. I begin to share the testimony, and their hearts begin to beat again. In this dream, there was a powerful revelation of testimony. And testimony, or witness, it, it, in Hebrew is this word adah. 
And all Hebrew words have a root. And this, this root is made up of two letters, and we showed this to you last week, but it, it, it's meaningful enough to, to show you again. Uh, it, the first letter is ayin. It looks like an I. Ancient Hebrew is not only a letter, but it actually describes uh, with a picture uh, what, what the meaning is. And the first picture is the I, and the second letter is uh, dalet, which is actually the door. It's a door of a tent. And it simply means this. It means to see or observe a door. That would be that witness word. That's the root of this word. Testimony. It means to observe. Now, a door is something that you would use over and over and over and over again. And in the same way that, that testimony is something that is supposed to be used over and over and over and over again, but the root includes a door. And that simply means this, that when you will tell what you have seen and experienced, it opens the door for the power of God to come in. That is a powerful revelation just in the meaning of the word. But the, the truth be told is that we can have a, a conviction that we are to testify, but, but what do we actually testify about? That's a really good question. What do we tes testify about? So we're going to answer that uh, this week and next week. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 10, and I want to show you something connected to testimony in the Scripture that I believe is going to serve to inspire you. I think you're going to be able to use this this week. Everywhere that you go, you're going to be able to, I can carry this and use this, and that's really our heart for you. Acts chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 33, this is the story of a man named Cornelius and his intersection with the apostle Peter. This is an incredible story. Uh, uh, you, you should read all of Acts chapter 10 to get a, a full understanding of this. But what is going on right before these scriptures that we're about to read is Cornelius is in a time of prayer and fasting and and. God gives him a visitation through an angel, and, and he says to him some very specific things. He says, there's a man, I want you to go get him, and he's in this house, and this is how you're going to find him, and you need to send him and go and get him, because he has some things to speak to you on my behalf. And uh, I love this, he, he was, uh, Cornelius was a man who was devout, but he wasn't Jewish, so he was outside the covenant and the promises. He was, he was Gentile. He loved the people. He, he, he actually gave a lot. And I, I, I just love this fact. In the middle of his every days, in his every days, he was praying and giving. That's how he lived his life. He was also a soldier who was in charge. But he just lived his life honoring God, the one true God, through giving and prayer. And this is what the Lord says to him when he first shows up. He says, your prayers and your giving have come up as a memorial before the Lord. It's like, it's like something about your every days have positioned you for a suddenly. 
church, can I just say, don't look for your, the, the, the supernatural intervention every 10 minutes of God. Okay, okay you're not looking for this, this miraculous heaven opening event. How about this? How about we just pray and we give generously and we love people and we serve people. And, and then I, God is well able to interrupt our everydays to give us suddenlies. By the way, this suddenly changed every person in this room. So in obedience, Cornelius sends a servant, and now Peter has come in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, and that's where we'll pick it up. It says, so, this is Cornelius speaking, I sent to you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. It says, and while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed, these are the Jews, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Here's a great truth, you know. Uh, God may not wait on the end of the sermon to move. That's a great truth you could just learn here, is that you can receive something from God anytime here at Calvary. We are well, I, I, we always pause for what the Holy Spirit is doing, or you just keep receiving, and we'll keep preaching, and, and, and somebody else will start receiving. Listen, God, I love that God did not wait on Peter to close. He just, he just jumped right in. He says, I can't wait any longer. You're being a little long-winded, Peter. But I want us to notice today what Peter was doing. And from this passage, we can learn this great truth about testimony. We as believers, we testify about Jesus. We testify about 
Jesus. And this is something that we are to use over and over and over again and open the door for the power of God to come in to change lives. Well, there are three topics here in this passage that that we can kind of learn as believers about how do we testify of Jesus. First, we testify who he is. In verse 36, it says, we are preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And, and Peter makes this statement, he is Lord of all. He, he, he begins this by telling who Jesus is. Now, uh, unfortunately, in, in our culture nowadays, uh, many times uh, we, we need to begin with uh, who Jesus is not. Because there's a lot of common beliefs about who Jesus is, and he's actually not those things. And we kind of need to begin with that. Uh, first of all, uh, he is not the Archangel Michael. You're like, why are you bringing that up? Because there are two major cults in our county right now who knock on doors a lot of days and say, hey, well, we believe that Jesus really isn't divine. He simply the uh, Archangel Michael wrapped up in flesh, and he was the sacrifice, but there's really uh, only, only one, one God. And even the, uh, the other uh, uh, group, the um, Latter-day Saints, they believe the very same thing, only change it just slightly. And so, uh, can I just say to you today, uh, Jesus is not the Archangel Michael. He's not the Archangel Michael. Uh, uh, how about this one? Uh, you get around a very educated group, and they will say, well, Jesus was a great philosopher, and he came just to change our thinking. I don't know, if you ever read the Bible, you would know that he came to do more than change your thinking. He came to totally rewrite the script, okay? He doesn't come as a philosopher to give you a way of thinking, Okay, and so he's not a philosopher, or how about this one? Uh, he is not a prophet as described by Islam. He's not a prophet. They, they, even, even this large religion of the world does not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, they would say, well, he was a prophet. He was simply a voice. The only problem with that is, is, that, is that if you believe that he's a prophet, then you believe what he said was true in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, standing there in the temple, he said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. All right? You, you, you need to make a choice. Either he is the true prophet or the prophet, as the scriptures say, or he's a false prophet. Right there, we, we, we all just come to a reckoning. He's the prophet, and so he's telling the truth. Now, so he's not just a prophet, or, uh, I, I mean, if you, you kind, of, kind of grew up uh, in a little more, um, you know, hippie age, uh, uh, or, or uh, you really like tie-dye, I don't know, or granola, um, uh, you would say... Um, Jesus is just an enlightened one, showing us one of many paths to enlightenment. Most of those people don't use soap, so I don't listen to them. Um, (laughs) 
That's the first reason. I'm like, oh, <coughs> I can't talk to you. But actually, there's a name for it. It's called Ekkenkar. And it basically is a convergence of all religions. And it spreads this, this terrible belief that all paths lead to the same place. Can I just tell you, Jesus, it is impossible for Jesus to be an enlightened one. It's impossible. Because he's the light. Let me just give you some things that you could actually begin to testify that Jesus is. Jesus is the Almighty One in Revelation 1.8. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's our advocate standing before the Father. He's our author and perfecter of our faith. He's the authority. He's the bread of life. He's the beloved Son of God. He's the bridegroom, chief cornerstone, deliverer, and he's a right on a white horse whose name is faithful and true. He's a good shepherd, great high priest, head of the church, holy servant. He's the I am. Before Abraham was, he said, I am. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the indescribable gift. He's the judge. He's the king of kings, lamb of God, light of the world, lion of the tribe of Judah, Lord of all, mediator, Messiah, mighty one, one who sets free our hope, peace, prophet, redeemer, risen Lord, rock, sacrifice for our sins. He's the savior. He's the son of man. He's the son of the most high, supreme creator of all, resurrection and the life. He's the door. He's the way. He's the word. He's the true vine. He's He's the truth. He's the victorious one. And can I just tell you, he is wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. Here's what you need to know about. That list can keep going, by the way. It just keeps going. Here's, here's, here's how you can sum it up. Jesus is everything you ever needed. He's everything you ever needed as a human being who is lost, who is wounded, who, who is wondering what on earth am I here for. Jesus is everything. And we need to do a better job about telling who he is. Not only do we need to learn to testify of who he, who he is, but we need to testify of what he did. I love in verse 38, it says, uh, in Acts chapter 10, 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I love this passage because it utterly destroys the mamby-pamby Jesus that, that are in so many minds. They just walked around with a robe. He kind of just lightly spoke. They, they kind of see him as like... Uh, you know, that he's, he's not very manly at all. But this is a man of authority who comes onto this planet to do some things. And here we find out he is destroying some things. Now, there's two categories of what Jesus uh, came and did. 
His, his, his first category is doing good. He came to do good and to heal all who were oppressed by the devil. Oh, that's so good. First, he comes to do good. Well, what does this mean that he comes to do good? Well, let me give you a, a couple of things that were um, in this first category. I, I believe his very first miracle was in this category. This happened at Cana of Galilee at a wedding where they ran out of wine. And all they had was water in these common washing pots. And Mary comes to Jesus and she says, they're out of wine. He says, what's this got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. She then looks at the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. As if to totally ignore what he just said. I guess Mary had that privilege. And he just said, fill these common pots up to the brim scoop it out and take it to the master of the ceremony and here's what they said when they tasted it they said normally you put out the good wine at first and you you save the the, the, the inferior wine for later because but here you save the best wine for last it's telling a story I believe it's a picture of what the Lord is doing in the last days. That he takes common people. We're just common people. We're just get, we just get filled up with God. But then when you're in the master's hand, you're just saying, no, no, no. God is saving the best for last. I believe we're on the edge of, 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 of going to see the Lord, that, the God, that Jesus himself is about to return. And, and it, it, some of us have a gloom and doom outlook. Uh-uh, you, you need to go back to John 3. John 3, he says, no, 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 we save the best for last. That if we'd be open, that God would take the common and fill them with something supernatural that would bring the whole world joy. That's the presence of God. This was just a good act. This was just a, a good sign, a miraculous sign, as the gospel writer John called it. It was uh, showing Jesus' supernatural control over the physical elements, like water. It reveals his glory as the Son of God, and it marked the beginning of his public ministry. Uh, he also fed 5,000 plus women and children, five loaves and two fish. Remember this story. This is, this is him. What is he doing? Doing good. Uh, just a few days later, he would do the same thing, 4,000 men plus women and children with just seven loaves of bread. So he's doing this over and over and over and over. How about this one? Uh, uh, he filled fishermen's net. Come on, let me hear from the men in the house. He filled fishermen's nets, not once, but twice. Man. Now, I don't want any of you guys uh, getting into condemnation when you go out and you're not catching anything. Could be your bait, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you're not catching anything. Either that or your wife's praying that you'll come home. <laughs> so, not only did he fill fishermen, he walked on water. 
But I want you to think about this. He walked on water in the midst of a storm that was sinking a boat disciples were in. He's walking on water. He gets to the boat that's sinking, gets in the boat, says, peace be still. How many of you know if you were in the boat, you were like, that was good. That was good. So he was going about doing good. But then there's that second category where he was healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This includes astonishing miracles like this. Raising from the dead. I love this story from Luke's gospel. There's this incredible crowd of people that are following Jesus. And then... In this city called Nain, there is this incredible crowd of people following a widow woman who has her dead son in a casket. There's a crowd following life, and there's another crowd following death. And the two collide. Now what do you think happens when life collides with death? The scripture says, and Jesus looked on her and had compassion on her. He walked up, puts his hand on the coffin to still it. And he says, Rise up. The guy in the casket sits up and begins to talk. And then he presents this son who was dead back to his mother. This woman was oppressed by the devil. She was already mourning the loss of her husband, and now she's mourning the loss of her son. Let me, let me just put it to you. Maybe you're not in that same category, but maybe today something died in your past and you let it go, and today you're still carrying the dead dreams of what you thought was going to happen, but you've just nailed it into a coffin and you're about to let it go. I've got good news for you. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And there are some things in your life God wants to resurrect. There's some callings in your life that God wants to touch. There's some things that you say, there's no way it could come back to life except Jesus. What Jesus does is he raises things from the dead. Not only did he raise the dead, he restores sight to the blind. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. And all of Christ's miracles provided dramatic and clear evidence that he is the Son of God, validating this claim to the world. And these supernatural uh, acts of love, they drew people to Jesus revealing his divine nature. It literally opened their hearts to the salvation message. I love Jesus' last physical miracle that he did on the planet. Do you remember this? They're coming out of the garden. The soldiers have arrived. 
And Peter's like, I'm going to do something. And he takes out this knife and he cuts off the servant's ear of the ones that are coming to take Jesus. Peter said, and Jesus says, Peter, that's not the way. He takes the ear of the servant that's coming to arrest him, to try him, to crucify him unjustly, and he heals the servant's ear. You see, it, it just reveals his goodness on his way to the cross. These signs and wonders, they demonstrate Christ's absolute power and authority over, over nature, but they also demonstrate his limitless compassion. And if you need a miracle today, there is a God who sent his son who has limitless compassion for you. He knows right where you are, knows every fear, knows every loss, knows every wound. And he says, I'm coming to you today. That's what he did. But we not only need to testify who he is and what he did, we need to testify why he did it. Why did he do it all? Why did he do it? Verse 42, he says, and he commanded them to preach to the people, and, and this word, and to testify. There it is. That it is he who was ordained to be God and judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets were witness that, that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. This is why he came. He came to remove the barrier between God and man. There has only been one barrier from, for, uh, for, to keep us from pure fellowship with God, and that barrier came in the garden, and it's called sin. And Jesus came to pay the price and the penalty for that sin. Luke 19, 19 puts it this way. After Zacchaeus goes up in the tree to see Jesus, Jesus calls him down, goes to his house. Zacchaeus has a dramatic encounter and says, listen, I'm giving my whole life to you, Jesus. I'm giving everything to you. And this is what Jesus says. He says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is why he came. All of humanity stands in this place of being lost. Outside of fellowship with God. Unless we place our faith and belief. And what he did for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it beautifully. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Hear the cry of heaven today. Be reconciled to God. If you've been running away from God, heaven's message to you isn't, I'm judging you. It is, be reconciled. Come back together today. There's a grace and a power for you to be reconciled with God today. Verse 21 says, for he, God made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin. To be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why he came. The word righteousness means to have equity with God. It means to be in good standing with him. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so God sent his son to pay the price for sin so that we could be in good standing with him. I love this. As Peter was simply telling what Jesus did, the power of God fell. The power of God fell. I believe the whole reason I'm sharing this with you today is so that faith in you will grow when you're telling his story. There's been this, this, this increase and this rise of like, you know what, you just need to kind of keep your faith to yourself and not share it. And even if you do, you'll probably mess that up or, you know, maybe you're not going to get everything just right, you know. And I, I just want to say that when you tell his story, he still moves. You need to tell his story. Tell the people around you who he is. Tell them what he did. It confirms who he is. And tell them why. Tell them why. So that they could be in right standing with God. I came today to tell you that's why he came. Stop trying to add up your behavior like you can somehow earn God's favor in a greater way. Simply step in and receive by grace what Jesus so amply provided and God will come to you in power. Acts chapter 10 ends with this declaration. This is what it says. Peter says, who could for, forbid these men water? Because they were obviously baptized in the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're doing a water baptism here for those who have been obviously impacted by Christ in their life. And if you've never been water baptized, you should be baptized next week.